Hey, well, good morning, church. Nice to see you guys this morning. Got most looking, this side's full over here. I like, I like it. It's good. I'm going to have to focus some attention this way this morning because this, this middle section, this left section is a little bare, so don't feel neglected this side. I just got more people to look at. Somebody ask you a question. How did this week go? How'd it go? Specifically in, in, in the context of our sermon last week. How did it go? I, I, I talked with quite a few of you this past week. Uh, you know, Sunday and Monday and Tuesday a little bit. Not, not really Tuesday, but mainly Sunday and Monday. And then some of you are like, hey, I was... That, 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 that text really really moved me, and it was convicting, and, and, and I see the call to go, and, and I, see the, I see the call to, to pray for um, the Lord of the harvest, to send laborers out into his harvest. And so I'm asking again, how did it go? You know? Because it, it's so easy. It's so easy to sit in a room like this and sit under preaching and you got a guy that's, that's loud and, and, and he's kind of passionate about what he's talking about and you kind of sit in that moment and you, and you, and you feel something emotional and you, and you feel like maybe I should respond and maybe I should do something. Man, you know, I don't disagree with anything he's saying and then, you, you know, a day pa- an hour passes, a day passes, a week passes and, and nothing has changed. And I just got to ask, is in response to what we heard last week, that the harvest is plentiful. Our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of all, King of kings, Lord of lords, he tells his disciples as he sends them out, he says, friends, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send workers out into the harvest. Community Bible Church, did that resonate with any heart this week? Did it? I mean, was was one decision, one decision, was one 15-minute block one 30-minute block, one changed because we got a glimpse of the fact that this harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. I'm not talking even here major life decisions. I'm not talking about totally reorienting your life and, and moving to Afghanistan in a predominantly Muslim country, and, and I'm going to give my life, possibly die for the sake of the gospel. I'm asking this, church. Did it move us at all? At all? Five minutes in prayer. Fifteen minutes of preparation to go into the harvest. A passion to to send people out into the world. And if not, church, what are we doing here? 
Why are you here right now? Why am I here right now? This isn't for your entertainment or my entertainment. That is not why we are here. We are here to hear from the Lord. And and, and we are called, church, to respond. To respond in obedience to the king. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would be passionate about this call that Christ has given us. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. Say it next week. And the week after that, Matt's going to get up. He's going to say the same thing. Well, this, this, isn't, this isn't just some intellectual exercise. It's amazing how much, you know, you, you talk to people and they hear preaching, and the one thing they want, I, I want to hear more application. I want to hear more application. Do you really? You might find application more interesting than the text, but the reality is, with application, we're called to do something. So church, may the Lord Jesus Christ change our hearts this morning. May he actually move right now. May we not be hard-hearted. Amen? Amen. With that, please turn to Luke chapter 10. I told you last week I I wasn't going to get through the whole sermon, so it's part two of last week's sermon. So I will reread Luke 10, 1 through 16. Please follow along as I read. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. May God bless the reading of his word. If you remember last week, my main point was this. Same main point this week that we're going to dive into more. The second half of this is, is this. The king is sending his messengers out into the world with a message of peace and a message of judgment. The king is sending his messengers out into the world with a message of peace and a message of judgment. And if you remember 
point one last week, you'll remember this, is that Jesus uses his authority to send us out. We saw that in chapter 10, verse 1, where the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to these primarily Jewish cities that he was going to go to. Uh, before, before he arrived, he sent these messengers out, uh, basically arriving, uh, announcing the king's arrival. That's, that's, that's what he did. He, he went and sent them out with, with a message. But before he sent them out, he said to them that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Not, not, the harvest isn't small in number. The, the, the harvest isn't, isn't minimal. The harvest is large. The amount of people that the Lord is, is saving, it's, it's big. It's, it's not this tiny little, little, little niche thing. The, the problem is the laborers are few. The, the, the number of people who are going to get involved in the mission is small. The number of people who are going to count the cost and see it worthy, very small. P- people would rather be involved with, with anything else than laboring for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's just the reality. Even the suggestion of it, it can say, well, you, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to guilt me into that. I don't really feel like, I don't really feel like doing that because I've got school or I've got work or I've got hobbies or I've got passions. And the, the call to really do what Christ is calling me to do, it's conflicting with all this stuff. And God's surely okay with that because he really doesn't, he's really not serious. Jesus really isn't serious about workers putting their hand to the plow. He's not serious about that. So I, I'm just going to continue this way. That's the majority of people. The workers are few. Few find it worthy. Few. That's a reality. And so I, I would expect, even, even amongst ourselves in this room, the reality is that few of us find this worthy. Few of us. And we got to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. Because we're not just going to volunteer. We're not just, in our flesh, just going to say, done with worldly pursuits, done with the pursuit of money, done done with the pursuit of fame and notoriety, done with the pursuit of comfort. That's stupid to us. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to change us. We need the Spirit to change our hearts. We we need Him to give us eyes that see see just the, the, the incomparable worth of Jesus. We need that. In our flesh, it doesn't happen. In our hearts, it doesn't happen. So we need to beg and plead the Lord to give us eyes and give us hearts to go. We must do it. And, and, if, and if that is all that our church does for the next month, for the next six months, is just pray that the Lord would sit. I, th- I believe the Lord's going to work, but I think that's enough. Call us. He's going to just pray that the Lord would, 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 would call us. Pray that the Lord would give us hearts. Because you know what? When he does... When we get a glimpse of how good he is, when we get a glimpse of how amazing this, this mission is, we're going to go. We will respond. We will. Because it is so far greater than any other call in this life. It really is, church. I, I, I'm not up here trying to use hyperbole with you. I'm not here trying to stir up just, you know, a little bit of excitement in you because you're bored in life. The call to go and labor for the gospel church, it is the best thing in the entire world. 
It is. Better than money. Better than your bed. Better than your career. Better than your education. Better than your sports team. Period. It is so much better. And it's not that Christ is the problem here. The problem is our hearts. We need Christ to change us. We do. So we must pray that the Lord would send his laborers out into the harvest. That we would value that. That we want to go. We're not just going with our bad attitudes. But we're going with hearts of joy to the mission field. With joy to perhaps suffer. With joy perhaps to die. Only the Lord can do that, church. I can't do that. I can't stir that up in you. Only Christ can. So pray, pray. May we be a people who pray. Give a little foreshadow of something that we, we have coming. I'm excited about this. In a few months, we're going to get to, we're going to get to, uh, or I guess probably more a few weeks now, Luke chapter 11. And we're going we're gonna to get with, um, we're going to start with the Lord's Prayer. And we're going we're gonna to like really, really slow it down. And we're going we're gonna to spend like eight weeks on just the topic of prayer. We're going to really dissect the Lord's Prayer. And hopefully we're going to be a church that really, that really digs into what is prayer. And we're going to be, hopefully, what's going to happen is hopefully we're going to be a more prayerful people. And we're going to pray for things such as this in a biblical, God-honoring way, that he would send laborers into the harvest. I'm looking forward to it. A little, a little, little foreshadowing of things to come. But Jesus uses his authority to send people out. The question is, what does he send them out to do? That's what we're going to talk about today. You know, it's interesting. The number of people in our country, one of the largest employers in our country is the federal government. And one of the largest departments that they employ is the armed services. And it's interesting. How many people join the armed services? Anybody in here join the armed services? Anybody? Nobody? Oh, yeah, there we go. Back in the battery. Terry, I'm sure you had a glimpse of how much you love your country and how you wanted to serve your country, and you saw the value in serving your country. And you probably had no idea what they were going to ask of you as soon as you signed your name away to, to, to the armed services. But hundreds of thousands of people in our country do that. They join the armed services because they love their country, because they want to serve their country, because they find it valuable to serve the country. But the reality is they you know, they don't know whether they're going to go to war or they're going to have a time of peace. There's the day-to-day, they don't know. But they see the worth and they say, I want to do this. And so, so they sign up and then they go to boot camp. And they're like, here's what you're going to do. Let, let, let us let you know what you're going to do. So they see the worth, they sign up. Today we're going to, we're going to talk about, about what the mission entails. So we're like, okay, I see the call to labor, Brian. I see what you're talking about. What, what, what does that look like? And, and, and the call to labor is this. It's, it's not just a call to, uh, it's not a call to win the culture war, culture war. It's not that. It's not that we're calling, you know, people to be more Republican or, or, to, be, or to call people to capitalism. It's, it's not that we call people to be a Democrat our, our, uh, our call is not social justice. Our call uh, is not just to make better people. 
to make much of our country. And I love our country. I love capitalism, and I love democracy. I think it's the, the best form of government in the entire world. I love it. I wouldn't die for it, though. wouldn't give my life to that, though. Unworthy cause. One day this country will pass away. It will. But the kingdom of God will not. I want to give my life to something that will not pass away. So, what is, what, what is, what are we laboring towards? What are we doing? How are we laboring? We're bringing a message. That's what we're doing. Point two. Jesus calls his disciples to bring the message of peace of his kingdom. Point two. Jesus calls his disciples to bring the message of peace, to bring the message of peace of his kingdom. And we see as, as they're going out, what do they do? What do they say? He says, whenever you enter, whatever house you enter, in verse 5, first say this. He says, peace to this house. Peace be to this house. First thing they do, first mission, first assignment, is to bring a message of peace. Bring a message of peace. The Lord of the harvest... Jesus Christ, he's sending them out. He's sending laborers out into the harvest. And the first thing he calls his laborers to do is to bring a message of peace. We can think of a message of shalom. They were going primarily to to Jewish people here. And so this message of shalom, this message of of peace uh, would have resonated with with many, but not all, as, as we'll see. But what we must I want you to get a hold of this, this, this point. The offer of peace, the call to peace, it was at the very foundation of Jesus' message. It was. And in Jesus' earthly ministry, and even in the apostles' ministry, post, uh, post-resurrection, post-Pentecost, it's primarily a message of peace. The offer of peace. Consider Luke 2, 2 4, 12, 14. We, we, we go to this uh, passage a lot during Christmas. The angels, they, they visit the shepherds and, and they say this, and this will, you know, to go, tell them to go look for Jesus. They say, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and, and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of, of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth what? Peace. Peace among those whom he has pleased. You can imagine at that moment how, I mean, they already said they were afraid. You can imagine how terrified they were with the angel and all of a sudden there's a multitude of of heavenly holy host. You can imagine and they're saying, no, peace. The son of God has come. This, this is a this is a this is a an act of peace from God. See that? Let me we go to just a few more verses to Luke two twenty five through thirty. We see um, Simeon here. He says, "Now there was a man in uh, Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him." And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So his old man serving the Lord patiently, faithfully, but he had, the Lord had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah. And he would not die until he did see the Messiah. 
and 27, we see, and he came into, uh, and he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents, uh, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, and said, "Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Why?" According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He sees the one whom the Lord promised to send, the, the, the one who would bring salvation to God's people, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that moment, it isn't a, a moment of terror for, for, for someone who desired that right there more than anything in the entire world. It brought great peace. Peace. Then we get to Luke 4, 18 through 19, as Jesus de delivers his first sermon, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What do you see there? Good news to the poor? You know, you think about the poor... They probably, you know, they don't feel a lot of peace, do they? They don't have money. They don't have goods. They, 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 they oftentimes just feel not at peace. But Jesus, I come to proclaim good news. Those who are, you know, the, the captives, you know, those who are captive, they, they don't feel peace. But Jesus says, I, I, I came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Those who are blind, walking around in darkness in a world that can see? There's not peace, but Jesus said, I came to give sight to the blind. It's a message of peace, etc. Then we get to Luke 7, 50. Remember this, this woman who kissed Jesus' feet and the Pharisees who wanted nothing to do with such a woman, this, this, this sinful woman, you know, this adulterous woman, the, this dirty woman. She comes and she, in humility, kisses Jesus' feet. And worships at Jesus' feet. You know what Jesus tells this sinful woman? He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Or we can consider Luke 8.48, the, the hemorrhaging woman that we talked about a, uh, about a month ago. Maybe two months ago. And this woman who desperately touched Jesus' cloak. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You're like, Brian, you're using too many verses. I could go more. I could, I, I, there was a lot more I could have used. There's a lot more I can use that would go forward. But, but, but I want you to see this. That, that, that Jesus' primary message here is one of peace. It is. It's one of shalom. Peace with what? Peace with what? Well, let me tell you what it's not. It is not peace in your sin. It's not. It's not peace in your sin. You know, it's, it's very interesting. All across, all across this country, all across, you know, the city, you will find many churches preaching peace. Everyone likes the message of peace as long as it's on their terms. And the peace is this, that, 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 that yes, you are in your sin, but you can still have peace. Peace in your sin, not peace from your sin. 
But, but, you know, God just loves you as you are. There's no need to change. You know, you can love your sin more than you love God, and you can still have peace. Anybody will preach that message. Anybody likes that message. Because everybody loves some sort of assurance. So, so they love some a little spiritual mentor to stand up in a pulpit, and, and they're a good communicator, and they can manipulate your emotions, and do all this other stuff. And they, they, they're viewed as an authority because they went to seminary, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so they'll tell you, you can have peace in your sin. That'll draw a crowd. It really will. There's, there's plenty of churches all across this world packed packed with people who, are, who, who love their sin more than they love God. That's not a Christian, friends. 1 John 2, 4 through 6 says this, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's not peace in your sin. It's not being comfortable with your sin. It's not being happy in your sin. That's not what the kind of peace that Christ has called us to. Not at all. Rather, it's a peace with God. Very different. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. It gets to this in Romans 5. Turn, turn, turn your Bibles to Romans 5 for, for a moment. I'm going to spend some time here. This, this is important. It's not peace in your sin. It's not just be happy with who you are. God will accept you as you are. Romans 5 really gets at this idea of, of peace with God. It says this, Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in, in that moment, since we have been justified, since, that means since we've been declared righteous, since we've been declared righteous, not guilty, not condemned, but justified. You have actually been declared righteous. You've been declared good. You have been declared innocent. And how is that done? It is done by faith. It is done by, the, by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. You have not been declared righteous. You have not been justified because of your work. You've not been justified because of what you do. You, you have been justified because of what Christ has done alone, period. And because of that, therefore, since, since we have been justified by faith in Christ alone, we have peace. We have peace. We have peace with God. Church, is, is, is that not amazing news to you? That's amazing news. I mean, if that isn't amazing news, it's because we think far too little of the holiness of God. Far too little. Oh, far too little. And we think far too much of ourselves. We bring God down to someone who's just a little better than us, a little nicer than us, just a little. We bring ourselves up, who's just a little bit better than our neighbor, 
Just a little better than all those liberals we see on TV. Just a little better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the problem. But when we rightly see the holiness of God, who he actually is changes everything. Changes everything. Because here's the fact. A holy God wants nothing to do with sin. Nothing. Not at all. And and God wants no friendship with sin. No identity with sin. To get to heaven and and to spend eternity with God, to spend eternity with, with Christ and the new heavens and the new earth forever, You can't bring sin in. Because God is holy. Which is incredibly bad news. Because we're all sinful. And there's nothing we could do about it. Which is why Christ had to come. Which is, we have peace with God, not through ourselves, not through our efforts, not through our creeds, not through our doctrines, not through through Christ Jesus. Through Christ finish atoning work on the cross. It wasn't your initiative. It wasn't your idea. You couldn't have done it even if you wanted to, and you didn't want to. You didn't want peace with God. God was the one who came and offered the peace. Didn't have to offer the peace. He would have been perfectly good and holy and just to send you to hell and me for eternity to suffer in a lake of fire. Every time I I go around a campfire, I I gaze in, as I put a marshmallow there, I gaze at that fire and just feel how hot it is. And just think that it it pales in comparison. It pales in comparison to what awaits those who are not in Christ Jesus. It's a fearful moment, isn't it? You ever done that? It's a fearful moment. But the reality is we have peace with God. This holy God. This perfectly good and holy God that wants nothing to do with sin and unrighteousness. We have peace if you're in Christ Jesus. Because you've been justified. Verse 2 says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And you know what? We rejoice. We rejoice. This peace with God, this justification before God through Christ Jesus by faith, it produces something in us. If you really have it, it produces something in you. It does. You don't sit there with, you know, apathetic hearts and just dull hearts and hearts that aren't moved. That's just, you don't get it. You just don't get it. You don't get it if you don't see this. You don't rejoice. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice right now in this glorious future that we have, church. We do. We can. I I, I know right right, right now we we have people in in our church that are struggling. They're struggling with life. They're they're, they're struggling with the way their life has turned out. 
They're, they're, they're suffering. They're, they're hurting. Maybe, you, you know, maybe, maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's loss of a job. Maybe it's hurt relationships. But friends, in the, in the moment, in light of all of the hard things in this life, there's a moment that we can look at God's word and say we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And only those who are justified by faith in Christ Jesus can do that. And Paul even goes on to say that, not only that, but we can rejoice in our sufferings. Can you imagine that? That we are justified, that we can rejoice in our sufferings? The world can't say that. The world cannot rejoice in their sufferings. They have no reason to. But we can, because we know that sufferings produces endurance for those who are in Christ Jesus. And endurance produces character. And, in, and character produces hope. What's he saying? Is, it, is that it's actually through sufferings that we become more and more and more dependent on Christ Jesus. And he satisfies that dependency. He satisfies that longing. He does. He gives us hope in the darkest day. He gives us joy in the darkest day. And as he does that, we love him more. In the Christian life, there's a, there's a beeline between suffering and love for Christ. You tell, you, I'll show you some of the people that I've seen in life who love Christ the absolute most. They're the people who suffered the most. And he says this, the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We don't hope aimlessly. This isn't a shot in the dark. Every hope and every longing of our heart will be fulfilled, friends. Everything. Everything God promised, we will see. This is good news. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, you didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve this. None of us deserve this. This is the gospel, folks. None of us deserved it. But God in his own loving kindness did this for us. Verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We have peace with God, but can I get more specific? We have peace from God. We are saved from the wrath of God himself. We are saved from God by God for the glory of God. You see that? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, again, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That is the peace that Christ is talking about. Perfect peace. Godly peace. 
eternal peace. Peace that hopes and doesn't put us to shame. True peace, not worldly peace, not unfulfilling peace, pure peace. And that is the message that he is sending his messengers out with. Do you see that? The greatest news in all the world that Christ saves sinners by grace alone. That is our message, church. That is it. And that is what we lead with. We lead with the peace that God is offering. God is offering this olive branch. God is offering peace to a world that hates him. Just like you. You hated him. I hated him. God offered, God offered peace, and, and he saved us. And, he, and back in, in Luke 10, as, as they, they go and they greet the house and they say, peace be to this house, verse 6, if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And, and what he's getting at is, is if that house desired the type of peace that only God brings... Not a worldly peace, not a peace in, in your sin, not like a peace with your financial bank account and, or peace with the federal government or anything like that. But if they actually desired salvation, if they're actually someone who was at that time ready to receive the true peace that God would bring, if they're actually open to the good news of the gospel, if they were actually ready to receive salvation, they would receive peace. That's the point. All of them. If a son of peace is there, then your peace will rest upon him. As, as you are messengers of the king, sent out in my authority, I'm sending you with this message. I'm sending you with this authority. And this is true. All those who are sons of peace and desire the peace that the king offers will receive peace. All of them. 100%. We see this in Romans 10, 11 through 13. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. And I'm and, and listen, I, I I am I am as predestination, election loving, sovereignty of God preaching man as you'll find. And I love Romans ten thirteen for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. But Brian, you, you, don't know, you don't know my past. You sure don't know my present. And I look at my life and it's shambles. I look at my life and it's sinful. I look at my life and God would not want anything to do with me. But I, I hate what I've become. I hate, I, I hate my sin. My, my, my family hates me. Why would God love me? I, I, I would love for God to save me. I would love for God to change me. In that moment, friends, if that's you, call upon the name of the Lord. Trust in Christ. He will save you. 
You are not too far gone. You are not too dirty. You are not too sinful for the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. Amen. But look, as they go, we see, we see next that the Lord was going to use fellow believers, these, these individuals who would respond positively to this peace that God offers to provide for their needs. He says, you, you know, you're going you're gonna to eat what's set before you. You're, you're going to stay in one house. You're not going to go from house to house to house to house to house. In, in this time, there were, there were false teachers and, and, and traveling preachers, false prophets who would go around and, and they would uh, go from house to house basically looking for better opportunities, looking for more money, looking for better accommodations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Very, very common during that time. And Christ says, that's not what you're about. You're not about the money. You're not about the comfort. You're not about the food. You're not about the accommodations. You're going you're gonna to spend time with these fellow believers, and you're going to eat what is set before you. And, and you know what's interesting here? You think about this. Who, who were most of the people who were responding to this gospel message during Jesus' time? It was the poor. It was those that did not have a lot. That, that, those are the people who most of these disciples were likely going to be involved with, staying in their homes as humble as they were, eating their food as meager as the offerings were. And they said, don't, don't feel ashamed of that. The laborer deserves his wages. And you know what? For those people who are giving, it is better to give than it is to receive. But this is going to be how the Lord was going to provide for these disciples who he was sending out with no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, etc., etc., etc. This was how the Lord was going to do it. So may we be a church that goes. May we be a church that supports those that do go. May we be a church that, you know, gets around Pat and Barb and says, Pat, Barb, is there anything you need as you go to Guatemala? Can we serve you in any way? And Pat and Barb, may, 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 may you joyfully receive the way that the people in Guatemala serve you while you're there. As meager as it might be, in the moment where they're giving you a meal that might not look very appealing, may you too praise God for that and see the hospitality extended to you by fellow believers there. And may that be all of us as we as we go. But, but here's, here's the interesting thing about this. They, they, would, they were to go there, and these towns that would, that would trust in Christ, that would see, desire the peace that only Christ offered, and they would heal. God gave these, these 72 individuals sent out in groups of two, he gave them the ability to go heal. And, and they were to do one additional thing. They were to proclaim that the kingdom of God had come near. That the kingdom of God had come near. And so in, in, this, in this moment, what they're doing is, is, is they're going and proclaiming the kingdom of God, and they're validating it with these miracles. They're validating it with healing. This is pre-Pentecost. This is pre-Christ's um, death, burial, and resurrection. They were, they were going in this moment, and they were healing those sons of peace. And they said, the kingdom of God has come near. In the Greek, it really gets it more this. The kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God has arrived. And I know in our, in, in, in our church, if, if I can just like 
talk to our church, I know there's like lots of differing opinions on the kingdom of God. And, and oftentimes, as we consider the kingdom of God, our definition is either far too broad or far too specific. Like it's far too broad in the sense that we're, where we're just thinking of uh, the kingdom of God as far as like God's reign from eternity past all the way to eternity future. Okay, yes, that is, there's, there's an aspect of God's the cosmic kingdom. Or there, there, there's, there's an aspect of the kingdom that we, we, we look at God's kingdom and, and we're just thinking of ju- just a time in the future. Nothing else. Or there's an aspect that we, we think of the very present kingdom of God without regard to anything that comes in the future. There comes a day where Christ's kingdom, it comes in its fullness. We await that day, church. We await that day. We, we await a day where, there, where no enemy stands before God, where there's a new heaven and a, and a, and a new earth, and Christ sits on the throne like physically before his people. No suffering, no shame. We await that day. The day that God promised old, it, 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 it is coming. Amen? We wait that day. The kingdom in its complete fullness. But here, here, Christ says the kingdom of God has come near. He does. There, there's an aspect of, of, of Christ's authority that is here, and it's real, and it's authority in which they go out and in which they proclaim. After Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in Luke chapter 24, they do the same. They go and proclaim the kingdom. That is, we, we proclaim a kingdom message. We go out and we proclaim a message that invites the world into the kingdom of God to submit to the rule and reign of Christ Jesus. That is our message. It's not simply just, hey, be, be saved from your sin. Although, that is a giant message. But it's also inviting people into the kingdom of God. Inviting people under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. That is their message. That's going to be the continued message of the, of the apostles post-resurrection. He does. That is, that, that is the message. I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Are we ashamed of that message? Because, because it really does sound crazy to the world. I'm inviting you into a kingdom. <laughs> kind of sounds a little spooky, doesn't it? Kind of sounds a little, you know, like, oh, that's, that's not a message I'm resonating. Can we, can, we, can we change it up a little bit? No, we shouldn't. We are, we are invited to a kingdom where there is a perfect king, King Jesus, an all-powerful king, King Jesus. Can you see it? Nope. <laughs> you can't see it. You can't see it yet. But we will see it in its fullness someday. We will. But we do see evidence of Christ's reign. Can you imagine this, church? That as his church continues to expand, can you think of anything more foolish? I mean, just in the flesh, this message started with, you know, this poor man and a group of fishermen to which now is a global message where Christ is building his church in, 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 the, in the darkest places around the world. Christ reigns, church. Christ is in control, church. The U.S. government's not in control. The liberals aren't in control. Satan's not in control. You know who's in control? The Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he is building his church. And he is building his kingdom. Amen. And that is our message. That is our message. And as we go, we go as messengers who are sent by the king. Do you see that? Do you understand that? We're go, we, we go with a message, the king's message. Can you, can you imagine with me for one moment a, 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 a king? You know, we're not, we're not used to, we're not really used to kingship. We're, 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 we, we left that. We were like, we're Americans, we're not king people. We're democracy people. We, we fought that war we won it. We ain't got time for that. But the reality is, can you imagine a king? Can you imagine a king that, who's all-powerful within a certain sovereign region? And he sends messengers out to, to a town that he's about to go to, and he says, I, I, I'm sending you with this message, and I want, you to, I want you to be clear. This is what I want you to say verbatim. Say it. Can you imagine what would happen if he sends the messengers out? Then the king arrives in that town only to find out they didn't send the message. They didn't give the message. They didn't share the message. They, they botched the message. No, those who are sent by the king are to send his message. And, the, and this message starts with a message of primarily peace, the peace of the kingdom of God that God offers. And so as Christian ministers of the gospel church, it should characterize us to lead with peace. It should. It should characterize us not to start with, you're going to hell, you're burning in hell. It should start with this peace that God offers, rather than starting every sentence with judgment. Amen. Point three, Jesus calls his disciples, though, even though we are to bring the message of peace of the kingdom of God, point three, Jesus does call his disciples to bring the message of judgment of his kingdom. It's not just peace. There's also a message of judgment. And he says this, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, okay, so he's entering a town, speaking to a, a larger group of people, okay, and they do not receive you, you go into its streets. This is, this is a public proclamation. This isn't just a one-on-one -on -one kind of conversation that we see here. This is a very loud and public preaching type of message. It's at least what he's telling his disciples here. Was it in a house? Was it at a dinner table? It was public. In a town where they're wholeheartedly rejecting Christ, he says this, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. What they're saying is, we want no part of this town. We want no part of what's going on here. We, we, we don't even want the dust on our feet that is from this town to be on us. We, we are removing ourselves from this situation. We don't want anything to do with it. Why? We'll get to that in a second. But he says this, nevertheless, know this. The kingdom of God has come near. Even in this moment, he doesn't say it's come near to you. Notice it's different. He says, but it has come near. The offer of the kingdom has come and you've missed it. You've rejected the kingdom of God. You are now an enemy of the kingdom of God. Or rather, you're still an enemy of the king of God, of the 
king of the kingdom. It has come. It is gone. And you must know that. This is, this is, a, very, this is a very sobering moment in this, in this time. They're, they're announcing judgment. They're announcing the fact that, that you are an enemy of the state. You are an enemy of the all-powerful king. And judgment awaits you. Because you have rejected that king. The king came in peace, and you rejected it. You are not a part of the kingdom. We want nothing to do with the judgment that awaits you. That's what they're saying in shaking the dust off their feet. We want nothing to do with the judgment you are about to receive. You don't know what you've just done. You have no clue what awaits you. And he says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now remember, as I said a moment ago, Jesus is sending his disciples primarily to to Jewish areas. Jewish areas that had the Old Testament, that that knew the promises of God, that, that should have recognized the Messiah. Jewish individuals that certainly would have heard the story of the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sin, their, their hatred of God. So much that, that, that God brought the city down to nothing. That God just brought his ultimate judgment. And even Lot's wife, as, as she looks back at the city and she just turns to salt and, and it was brought to nothing. It's it one, one of the largest stories of just complete and total judgment that we see in the Old Testament. And Jesus tells these towns, it's going to be more bearable for them on the day of judgment than it is for you. Like, you think you're better than Sodom? You think you're better than Gomorrah? You're just as evil. And he says, I, I, don't, I don't care if you're an ethnic Jew. If you don't trust in Christ, you will receive the judgment of God. It'll be just like Sodom and Gomorrah for you unless you repent and trust in Jesus. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Jewish areas. Woe to you, Jewish areas. And then he says, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, again, Old Testament wicked cities that wanted nothing to do with the Lord, who received the judgment of God, those who the Jews would have looked at and thought, wicked, 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 wicked. Then he says it's going to be more bearable in the judgment for such cities like that than it is for you. You who receive the promises, you who receive the covenants, you who receive the Old Testament, you who receive the prophets, and you who sees Christ here before your midst doing miracles, sending out his messengers by the authority of Christ doing miracles, and you still reject it, it will be more bearable for those wicked cities of old than for you. What a sobering, sobering message. But what a necessary message. What a necessary message. You see, he, he, he announces this kingdom, and, and with the kingdom of God comes two things. It comes with peace to those who are in the kingdom. The kingdom of God brings peace to its citizens. 
But the kingdom of God brings judgment to all those who are outside the kingdom. The king comes and offers peace to sons of peace and judgment to those who reject the peace that the king offers. Church, there, as uncomfortable as this message of judgment makes us, and as, as much as we feel inadequate to say such things, especially to a world whose mantra is, don't judge me, bro. The king is sending us with a message. A message of peace, yes. But for those who reject it, hear me, friends. A message of judgment. And I'm not talking about judgmentalism. I'm talking about self-righteousness. I'm talking about the sober reality that people who remain in their sin and reject Christ will receive his wrath. They will. And if that's you this morning, and you're sitting here this morning, and you don't know if you're a Christian, your faith and your hope are not in Christ Jesus. You're relying on your works. You're relying on your church attendance. You're relying on being a part of a Christian family or going to a Christian school or you're part of this church just because you come, just because your friends and family do. Oh, dear friends, if you don't trust in Christ, if you don't, you will go to hell. You will receive the wrath of God. You really will. You stand dead in your tracks. That's, it's, it's reality. And I love you enough to say that. I do. I, I love you enough to say that. But as we already said this morning, the, the best news in all of the world is this. That all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't need to do more. You don't need to trust in your works. You need to call upon the name of the Lord to save you. Cast yourself before him and say, Lord, I don't have perfect theology. I don't have a perfect lifestyle. You know this. I know this. I'm simply coming before you and asking for the peace that you offer, the mercy that you offer, because that is the only way in which I'll be saved is by your grace alone. Period. Church, we must. This must be part of our message. It must be part of our message. Because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. And as, as ambassadors for Christ, here's what we're doing. God is making his appeal through us. He's doing it through us. How, does, how is God working? How is God bringing in the harvest? Still, not just for the, like, this is just, no, it's not just for these 72. It's for us as well. We are ambassadors. God is, God is making his appeal through us, church. But Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you are not in Christ Jesus, friends, I implore you, I implore you, beg you, I exhort you, be reconciled to God. Today, don't wait. Because as Jonathan Edwards says in his famous sermon, 
sinners in the hands of an angry God. He says this, almost every natural man that hears of hell flatters himself that he shall escape it. He depends upon himself for his own security. He flatters himself in what he has done and what he is now doing or what he intends to do. Everyone lays out matters in his own mind how he shall avoid damnation and flatters himself that he contrives well for himself and that his schemes will not fail. They hear indeed that there are but few saved and that the greater part of men that have died uh, heretofore are gone to hell. But each one imagines that he lays out matters before his own escape than others have done. He does not intend to come to that place of torment. He says within himself that he intends to take effectual care and to order matters so for himself as not to fail. Not today, Jesus. When I grow up, when I, when, I, when, I, when I live the life that I want to my flesh, when I, when I have enough sex, when I have enough fun, when I do what I want to do, when I go live worldly, one day, maybe one day, I intend to follow Christ. Oh, dear friends, you are not promised one day. You're not promised one more hour. You're not promised one more lunch. You're not promised to make it to Aaron's dinner tonight. Trust in Christ today. Do not lie to yourself thinking that you, apart from trusting in Christ, will receive the grace of God. You will not. You will go to hell. Church, are we serious about this? Will we take the call to be ambassadors for Christ seriously? Will we? Will we feel the weight of that call? Will we feel the weight of the apathy in our hearts and the call to repent of such apathy? Community Bible Church, let's gaze upon this text. I mean it. I mean it. Let's gaze upon this text, church, collectively. Let's put our hand to the plow. Let's gaze upon this text and take the call to be ambassadors for the kingdom seriously. Enough of the junk, enough of the platitudes, enough of the intellectual nonsense, enough of the patting ourselves on the back because we know more intellectual theological knowledge in the church down the street. Enough is enough. May we take this call seriously. May we pray for it. May we live for it. And if necessary, may we die for it.